Welcome, everybody, to the Nerd Alert Podcast. We are in the gong. I'm here with Dave Rome. Dave, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks, so. uh, It's good to be next to you. It is good to be next. I apologize if there's a bit of an echo. I don't think you'll be able to hear it on the on the audio, but we're in a very large house here in the gong. No, are we in the gong? We're not in the gong. We're in Shell. South of. Shell Cove. Kayama. Kayama? Mm-hmm. Okay, we're in Kayama. And our third our third entrant into today's episode, Andy Van Bergen. How are you, Andy? I'm very good. Thank you very much for and having me along. Andy doesn't really know why he's on this podcast, and we're not sure yet either, but we're going to just mm. find out organically. I was walking past. <laughs> I was in the same house. It is raining out. Andy, uh, you, I mean, you're, you're our, what, membership coordinator? What's your actual title now? That sounds about right. Yeah, okay. I look after the membership side of things. Yeah, so if you are a Velocla member, you've well, you probably interacted with Andy in, in some respect, but he's also just another bike rider uh, mm-hmm. we rode today. And so, you know, you did all the same things we did today. We thought you'd invite, we'd invite you on the podcast. Mr. Rome. Yeah. Uh, we're here at the World Championships, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the things that we have seen, the things that you have seen. Mm-hmm. You've been wandering around the pits, and you've been chatting with lots of mechanics, and you've been Somewhat. sliding into their DMs and figuring out exactly what's going on. Yeah, I made it a little creepy. A little bit creepy. Yeah. Yep. Sorry to everyone that I've bothered, but uh, that's all right. Hopefully, hopefully you get the get some content out of it. So you've sent me a list of things that you'd like to talk about, uh, mm. and the first one here. It's not scripted. <laughs> we. Definitely not scripted. I think anybody who listens to this podcast is pretty well aware that it's not scripted. Yeah. Uh, but we do have a list of things that we want to talk about here. And the first one is some new Roval. Actually, you have a typo in this list that you sent me. It says mm. Rapide, Rapide CL. Uh, the new Roval Rapide yeah. CLs. No, that's right. Yeah. Which is a... They're twice as fast as the old ones. That's why they're fast. called the Rapide, Rapide. <laughs> new wheels from Roval that you wrote up this week. Yeah. Uh, the embargo lifted and they all hit the internet at the same time. Tell me mm-hmm. about them. Yeah, uh, not a huge amount to tell with these wheels. Uh, basically, it's the exact same rim that uh, Roval have had with the Rapide CLX2. So it's that, that um, That's really front wide one. and rear-specific rims with really wide front rounded profile that can now fit tubeless ready tires as that controversial wheel. Yes. Uh, it's that rim, tubeless ready, but... With a cheaper spoke, so it's gone to a round double-butted spoke and a DT Swiss 350 hub in the center. Instead of a 280? What's Instead of a 240? Oh, it's, it's actually instead of uh, Roval's own aero hub, which then has very high-end DT Swiss internals inside of that. Right. So this is like a proper DT Swiss hub shell with DT Swiss lower level uh, Taiwanese made internals. Right. Um, but we still like the 350. 350 is an amazing hub. Yeah. Uh, it's basically reliability wise, it's in almost every sense, it's as good as a, a 240. Um, and yeah, it's the same serviceability as a 240. It, it has all uh, cross compatibility with the old 240. It's it's not using the new ratchet system, their EXP. It's using the original Star Ratchet. Uh, but yeah, it basically what that means is you can pick up spares everywhere. Well, so, so, um, Mick Alpa here. I was flying when this post went up, mm-hmm. uh, and I haven't read it. Yep. And so I'm assuming, based on what you're telling me right now, that this is a cheaper version. Correct. Of the record. so yeah. So sorry, I haven't got that. So yeah. So it's the CL version, and basically Roval have a whole w- lineup of wheels where they're top end the CLX. 
have fancy hubs, bladed spokes, and then the CL level goes to cheaper spoke, cheaper hub. These ones add 80 grams and you save a thousand US dollars. Add 80 grams yep. and save a thousand US dollars. Yes. Then the these are an aero wheel set. You are losing the bladed spoke. The move to an, a round spoke will add some level of drag. Roval couldn't tell me how much. Um, zero. But it's it'll, close to zero. It'll be, it's a rounding it'll be error. something. <laughs> it'll be something uh, for the speeds I ride at. It's a rounding error. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but does yeah. The, does the CLX just say like idiot on the side or something like that? No, it just it's it's louder. The hub, the ah. EXP internal hubs are louder, so everyone knows you spent that extra thousand dollars <laughs> for your eighty grams. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sometimes this sport makes me laugh, because uh, like if anybody actually looks at that and 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 has to make a rational decision about whether they're going to buy these two wheel sets, why on earth would you spend? An extra thousand. I mean, this one's absolutely the value, the value yeah. play. And one of the comments in the in the article I wrote was. Uh, and obviously this person's comfortable doing this task, but they're like, well, spend a few hundred dollars, swap out the spokes to bladed spokes, and you're still way ahead. The wheel weight difference then narrows even further. Uh, you no longer have an error di- disadvantage, and you're still many, many hundred dollars ahead with still a pretty good hub. So what's the actual price then? It's a good question. <laughs> uh, yeah, so <laughs> these ones will sell for US $1,750. One thousand seven. So actually, not that cheap, really. It's not. So it's not a cheap wheel set, but it's still Cheaper. a one thousand and fifty dollar price job. Right. And you well, have who, remind me who on staff reviewed the previous version. We've we have. I've talked reviewed about those them. Previously. I reviewed LSU. the original one. James yeah. reviewed the tubeless ready two. Right, which is the same shape, but sort of officially tubeless at that point. Correct, like yeah, redone layup and internal structure, but externally the same. So just just remind me and the listeners out there, do we like these? We do, yeah. Uh, They are an incredibly speedy wheel set with very good crosswind stability, which is kind of what Roval claims, and they they do what they say they do. And uh, I guess as far as my only real complaint with these, it would be related to how difficult it is to get some tires on and off the rims. It seems like Roval have kind of purposely uh, increased the dimensions of the rims. Uh, and funnily enough, which leads me to the next product we're talk- going to talk about, but um, is specializes... That to avoid, is that to avoid death? It seems like it's been designed as a racing product that you could race once your tire deflates. Mm. Um, so kind of like the idea of like the tubular that stays glued onto the rim, this right. would be a tubular setup that doesn't... Un- tire itself yeah um but yeah it's uh that rim funnily enough um specialize also at the same time as their sister sibling company released these wheels specialized released a whole bunch of tires and uh i actually found fitting those new tubeless tires to these new wheels quite the pain Mm. um whereas i took those same tires and put them on some new shimano 105 carbon wheels and managed without tire levers so yeah they're definitely an oversized rim in that sense and that's probably my my main complaint with these wheels otherwise all good i hate that Mm. yeah why well well, i know why because we saw tires explode off (laughs) this week which we're gonna get to in a little bit yeah, le- a less than ideal scenario, but yeah. oh, this whole thing. But can we just have hooks back? I've no, got, they've got hooks. They have hooks? Yeah, they're so hooked rims. So why do they have to be oversized then? They're a hooked rim with a really snug-fitting rim bed. Why? Easy inflation. Oh, I guess so. Tire security. Yeah. Um, 
that's I got nothing else for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, we do like these wheels and I, I will add that. Yeah, I've, I've re- I rode the first version of these, the ones that were probably actually tubeless compatible, but not really. Um, and I rode them on a, on the, on Avenge, uh, ages ago and, uh, loved them like absolutely flew on that bike to the point where I was taking, I took a downhill KOM on a descent in Boulder that I have done a bajillion times and like, wasn't railing it, like wasn't doing anything that I would, wouldn't normally do. Maybe had a bit of a tailwind or something, but again, I've had tailwinds on this descent before and snagged a, a downhill yeah. KOM on this yeah. thing. And, and they are the combination of those two things, the Venge and the narrow bike and those wheels was one of the fastest combos I've ever personally ridden. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're a good wheel. So, um, but yeah, as I was mentioning, there's the tires as well. So, uh, Specialized, and this is kind of the bigger release from from that company is they have revamped their entire turbo range of tires. So, uh, the with the exception of the turbo cotton, actually, that continues on unchanged. And they, it's great. It's and perfect. they've been clever enough to keep it in the range. There's, do they still do the Roubaix version? That I don't. Or the hell of the north know. version, I should say. That I'm not sure about because they've already they're they're basically stating that the the new tubeless tire is going to be their their Roubaix tire moving forward. So I don't know. Um, I don't believe so, but I I don't know the answers to that one. It's one of my um, favorite tires ever. Yeah, but don't anyway, so they've got the Rapid Air, which is their top end tubeless race day tire. Mm-hmm. That's that's what the team the teams race on they have the t uh, the 2br which is like their everyday tire i guess the simplest way to categorize that is it's specializes version of the continental gp5000 tr mm. tubeless ready tire and then they have a tubed version of that same tire so which is a replacement for the s-works turbo uh, and yeah the big revamp here all new compounds and tweaks to the casings and yeah, basically a whole new tire, but the compounds are the big story. Have we ridden them yet? Yes, I have ridden the Rapid Air and the 2BR. I want to keep saying TBR, but it's not. Um, the 2BR? 2BR, mm. yeah. Uh, I have ridden both of them and yeah, I'm surprised like they, they feel grippy. Uh, the, the Rapid Airs are super compliant as you'd expect of like a two-ply, very lightweight, you know, very lightweight tire. Uh, I rode and, the previous version of those and flatted three times in the first ride. Yep. And I flatted. I, yeah, I got sprayed by sealant on yep, the less original ideal. ones too. <laughs> yeah. So these ones, uh, that's another big thing is they're claiming massively increased durability, massively, not massively, but an increased amount of uh, puncture resistance, uh, cut resistance, um, while also keeping speeds approximately the same. Uh, weights uh, a little bit lighter depending on which model you look at. Um, but yeah. Increased durability, better grip, better cut resistance. I saw a quote that uh, suggested that the durability was like eight or ten percent more durable, and I was just kind of wondering, like, how do they how do they arrive at that? That's a very specific uh, yeah, figure. So, so the durability they actually gave like specific numbers. They gave like, let's just make it up. They said, you know, the old one did four thousand kilometers. This new one does five thousand kilometers. They just like stick them on a roller and see how long they take to wear they out. They basically had a roller which was covered in sandpaper like mm. wrapped in sandpaper and that's based on an abrasion test and then they like correlate that out um, based on real world testing. So it's lab-based durability testing. Um, so that's and then, durability in terms of like longevity. Longevity, like how long the rubber will last. As opposed to durability in terms yeah. of like 
will it cut? A nail. Yeah. So, yeah. and then that test involved, um, I might butcher this, but from the photos I saw, it basically involves like a press, like a weighted press that puts a load down on like a, a knife onto the tire until it cuts through. Mm. And um, I believe their increase it like their claim of like that eight or ten percent better puncture resistance is based on how much weight it'll hold that knife will hold before it starts to cut. Did cut into the tire. they mention any increase in rolling resistance as a result? I mean, I, uh, these are racing tires that has to be part of the goal, but I think they yeah. also realized that they pushed it a little bit too far. The last versions, perhaps. No, so I think the new compounds are the big story, and that's where they're getting the speed gains from, mm. uh, while also improving the durability. Uh, the Rapid Air, their race tire, is is said to be that little bit faster than the previous version, and now matches a turbo cotton with a latex tube, mm. which is a pretty quick setup. Uh, and then the 2BR, that more everyday tire, is said to match the speed of the old Rapid Air, which is uh, roughly a watt slower, um, depending on how you look at it. So it's they're, they're according. This is based on all their own internal testing. They apparently do also outsource like wheel energy just to confirm right. their findings and all that. But yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see other wheel uh, rolling. Re- resistance companies and and outlets uh test these tires in future and we'll probably get a better understanding of exactly how true these figures are Mm. yeah i mean just you know the the sort of sniff test around increasing durability is that you're going to increase rolling resistance but that's not necessarily true i mean they can do some they can do some magical things with tire compounds these days and Uh, and and that's been sort of one of the areas of of really impressive development, I would say, in yes. the bike world in the last yeah. like five or ten years, maybe five years even, yeah. is they've really fully started to to dive into rubber compounds, which they I mean, think about how how you know your average like Veloflex or Vittoria tubular that basically the rubber had not changed in 40 years. That's that's rapidly changing in the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. Part of it's mountain bike side driven, uh, like really experimenting with compounds there. But mainly, my understanding from uh, from Specialized, what they'd said is that it's actually the electric vehicle market that's driving this innovation. So, uh, especially out of Germany, which is where Specialized designs its mm. own tires yeah. from. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, the electric vehicles, there's demand for tires that are more efficient, lower rolling resistance for a car that can also withstand the heavier weight of an electric vehicle. And yeah, it's not just about like optimizing the battery of a car or optimizing the engine efficiency, um, well not the engine, but the the electric motor efficiency. They're, they're looking at these sort of like marginal gains where, you know, if you can make a tire one or 2% Mm-hmm. more more efficient then that makes your car go further between charges Interesting. Um, and that's that's kind of what he pointed to as far as why these compounds are now existing whereas they didn't before huh i mean but they're not using automotive compounds but maybe just sort of the, the technology I, that's being developed they're using yeah. i believe they're using the like the science behind the creation of those automotive compounds so like right. how they get to those compounds right uh, and their test mythology for for understanding how those compounds are efficient and effective i believe that is sort of where these big gains are being made now interesting mm. fascinating next to my list yeah pro vibe super light uh, Pro Vibe Superlight is yeah from Pro Shimano's uh, componentry company. Uh, they've gone lightweight, as the name describes. They've got a handlebar that's claimed to weigh 153 grams, matched to a stem that is 92 grams, which Pro are traditionally pretty conservative on yeah. the side of weights, and they've always sort of pushed pretty innovative uh, materials that are known to like not 
break catastrophically as well. So this is this is an interesting change because it's like the whole sales pitch of this is all about weight. 92 gram stem is a light stem. 153 gram drop handlebar is a light drop handlebar. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very light combination. Have we a chance to weigh them ourselves? Is that like a, you know, a 34 center to center no, handlebar or the, something like that? No, unfortunately the best I've managed is to flick the handlebar, mm. which is, as we all know, a very scientific test. Right. But um, when you flicked it, was it like, mm, that's a light flick? It was like, yeah, this is pretty, you know, like it's 153 grams. You can't have very much material in there. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, this is just, a very lightweight handlebar and I don't doubt they'll sell a bunch of them. Um, but yeah, I'll be interesting to, I'm interested to try it to see what sort of flex is in that stem. Uh, and yeah, I guess, uh, I'm sure James is also looking into this, but keen to hear like from a safety point of view, what, like, is there a trade-off versus their, their previous bars that were quite a bit heavier than this that, that did have have some, a weight limit or something like that. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I honestly, I, have been at World since this launch and I haven't really looked into it in great detail, but it's, uh, yeah, one for the weight weenies and it, it, it's interesting to see Pro go after that market. I, I find Pro fascinating because it's one of the few examples we can think of of a brand being part of a larger brand, but actually sort of effectively differentiating itself, mm-hmm. you know? Like people will run Pro stuff on a bike with SRAM or Campanello and it's sort of, they've effectively, yeah, they differentiated, which... I'm, I'm trying to remember here, but it, they Pro started off as a a separate company and was acquired. So maybe that's the reason why. Kind of like Laser Helmets, which is also acquired by by Shimano. Am I, am I remembering that correctly? I actually don't know. I'm pretty sure that's the case because I went to a Pro product launch in the Netherlands outside Amsterdam once, and that is not where Shimano is from. Shimano is Japanese. Yes, but they also have a massive headquarters I'm, for Europe in Netherlands. Yeah. I'm, mm, I think I, yeah, I have a feeling I'm like that sure. might be the only brand that wasn't acquired, but uh, <laughs> I cannot Shimano, remember now. We'll, we'll we find should look out. this up before yeah. we were talking Some about the podcast. Someone will tell sure. us. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, regardless, it's, it's yeah. an interesting, an interesting move. And yeah, they have done a good job of differentiating that brand. They don't reference Shimano a lot in yeah. everything they do. And unless you were specifically told, Yep. Um, it's it is a different brand. Whereas we keep uh we're consistently told that Roval is a very separate brand to specialize. Until it shows up from but a specialized address. Until it shows up from a specialized address, <laughs> or you're dealing with a specialized employee, or yep. you click on shop now and it takes you to specialized.com. <laughs> so uh, that's but, a dead giveaway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, I digress. Uh, well, so, so that's our little news, our news update for this week. Uh, we wanted to run through some of the new products that have shown up. There's always new products that drop around worlds. Whenever the eyeballs of the cycling world are on a particular event, there's going to be new products that show up. That's what we've seen. That's the big stuff. There's some other interesting things that have happened this week. And we talked a little bit about this in sort of the, the, the main weekly podcast that we recorded yesterday, but we've had a number of dropped chains this week and they've been kind of the tech story of worlds so far uh because they were pretty dramatic right we had one with Bakamolama uh his was is a was a one by setup and uh it was a not related i don't think to him hitting a bird at some point but uh he also hit a, 
hit a bird yesterday. Dropped his chain, kind of wrapped around the cranks and and was just generally a bit of a disaster for uh, the men's side of the Dutch team time trial relay yesterday. And then the women's side of the Dutch team time trial relay on Wednesday was also a bit of a disaster within the first, what, 50 meters or so. When Annemiek van Vluten, uh, well, you explain what happened because you did she, you did the you did the forensic analysis. Sure. I mean, yeah, she she jumped the from the start ramp and everything was going great until probably 30, 40 meters away from the ramp, and all of a sudden you just saw her basically get launched forward on the bike, lose control, and then send it into the barriers and. Uh, it all happened incredibly quickly, and yeah, I mean, she was on the ground after that for quite a while. Like, obviously, shock was a factor, but she was she was visibly in pain, and it was well, a nasty crash. Yeah, fractured her elbow, uh, but it's not displaced, and and she said that. Well, we still don't know if she's going to race this weekend. Uh, maybe she'll start. I don't know. It's basically like whether she can stand the pain, and I'm not sure if that's really a. a safe thing for her to be doing maybe potentially starting this bike yeah, race but like she might have hit her head as well but, yeah um, she might have hit her head so we're, we're not sure yeah. if she's gonna start this weekend but regardless you know uh, serious injuries right yeah but like how did this how did this and that's that's happen? the thing so like the first th- she went to twitter and and blamed the tubeless tire because the tubeless tire had blown off like the bike got carried away there's photos all over the internet of it we have a story on it uh it shows a very milky tubeless tire uh, as as Ian, what would what would Ian Trelaw describe it as? Uh, Ian, how would you describe uh, how would you describe the tire uh, yesterday after after it blew off uh, Van Vluten's rig? Ah, oh, real milky boy. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. <laughs> okay, that's Ian Trelaw there. That's Ian. We are, we are making this podcast from, like I said, the, the sort of front of this big rented house that we've got for Worlds here. Ian is over here uh, with his headphones on writing about a cycling-related horror movie. So check out cyclingtips.com for that one, <laughs> whatever that's going to go up. <laughs> it sounds like the sort of thing he might actually be screenwriting himself, but it's he's actually reporting on it. <gasps> it would probably be a better movie if Ian wrote it. Uh, anyway, Milky Boy. Uh, Milky Boy. There's um, a, a real Milky Boy. Yeah, so... Yep. Uh, Zip wheel, uh, the tire had blown off and people were quick to to point to hookless being the cause here. I would love that to be the case, but frankly, that's, I think, forming the narrative to fit my own narrative. Yeah, I mean, the, the tire did blow off, but from what we can see, that was from smashing the bike into a very square edge barrier after she had already come off. I still don't really think your tire should fall off like that. No, that's there are still some questions related there. Yeah. Um, there were reports that maybe it was overinflated, but like, I, yeah, it's still, it's suspect, but I mean, that was a big impact. Like we've seen wheels crumple in similar incidents to that. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not quite ready to, you know, point blame there. But um, yeah, and then the photos also showed a rear derailleur that had been ripped off, which we've since found out that Ellen Van Dyke had, was um, it was from her sending Riding it, over it, sending it over <laughs> over Anamik's, uh bike. So and and basically riding straight over the derailleur. So that's why the derailleur ripped off. But yeah, uh, from what we could tell based on rewinding and rewinding and putting it in slow motion far too many times, is that uh, her chain mysteriously jumped from the big ring to the small ring while like going for it out of the saddle 
uh, that is enough of a jump and enough of a jam, I guess, to throw her weight off center and it all just went to hell from there. Yeah, I, I think that the like her body position in the crash was pretty immediately uh, recognizable to anybody who's ever broken a chain mid sprint, for example. Like that's exactly what you, you essentially just all of a sudden there's no resistance and you just fall forwards yeah. on the yeah. on your bike and whatever. And there's yeah. very little chance of keeping it upright, particularly on a TT bike. Yes. So yes. yeah, a pretty nasty one. We, we just don't we don't really know what caused the chain to to skip off. I mean, we, we've speculated. This is I should say pure speculation mm-hmm. that perhaps she accidentally shifted. Yes. In that moment, uh, now she was on SRAM, and so she would have had to hit two buttons to do that. So this may be yeah. slightly less probable at this point, but less probable, but still, but possible. still possible, yeah. absolutely possible. Yeah, uh, and like I've I've accidentally done that before, where you just accidentally hit the thing. Yeah, uh, and you know she's hanging on to the to the you know the bullhorns where those two shifters are, so it's entirely possible. Could it just been flex, right? Like you know TT bikes are not known to be the stiffest things in the world because they're they're designed to go straight yeah and and that and that um there's a mechanic that's uh, a very good mechanic out of the u.s gregory thomas who um he speculated that those the the shram red front railers he's seen it where if you're cross chained between the biggest cog and the the big chain ring which she was and you're you've basically got the rear the the front derailleur set up wrongly where it's not adding a support to the chain in that extreme gear and then add in frame flex, he's actually seen the chain jump in these scenarios. Interesting. So a combination of bad setup and a flex- flexible frame, uh, which is possible on a TT bike, as you said, um, that that could be it as well. So yeah. I mean, there's there's lots of potential outcomes here or, or causes. The main thing is, is that it was definitely uh, chain related um, and a chain jam. It, it, it absolutely had nothing to do with the front wheel collapsing or tire yeah. exploding or anything like that that was not the cause uh the other the other chain issue that you've sort of debunked this week was with eighth and hater mm. uh what went on there yeah so time trial men's time trial elite time trial um he basically had, was going to crest to climb put down an increased amount of power he was going from the small ring into the big ring and you kind of hear the big ring not the chain not climbing up onto the big ring uh, you can hear it grinding and then it just catches chain sucks and he's needing a new bike Yep. Uh, and very visibly unhappy about it. And well, maybe he should have put a smarter chain ring on. Yeah. And what he was trying to do, what he was trying to do is, is force the chains, like reset the shift, use the front derailleur to push the chain on. But he was on DI2 with full synchro setup where mm. basically every single button he had available to him would actually only just initiate like one rear shift and the front shifting was, you know, one, sorry. So the right-hand side of his bike, he had two shifters, one on the bull bar, one on the extension. That would send the gears harder. And then the ones on the left, uh, bull bar and extension, one button each, uh, push that and your gear gets easier. And the Shimano DI2 figures out whether that happens at the front chain ring or whether that happens at the rear gears. Uh, so yeah, basically what he was doing is he was pushing the, the DI2 thought it was in the big ring already because it didn't lift the chain up and he was trying to fix it and all he was doing was just making the chain line worse by shifting the rear gears. Um, and really he would have had to go through basically all the gears to reset that shift and to actually achieve what he was trying to do in that moment. This feels like a area in which the very marginal gain uh, of not running the actual an actual front shifter 
to tell the front derailleur yeah, what to so, do was, so was probably not worth the risk. Shimano's latest is like this single shift idea with relying on the synchro concept. But if you look at someone like Filippo Garner, he's using what they uh, the sprint shifters that you'd normally put on a drop handlebar to, um, to shift from a sprint. You can actually add those in and, and give yourself more shifting options. Uh, not as aerodynamic as just using those single buttons. Um, so yeah, so Filippo Gunna, he actually has- aerodynamic than having to get off your bike and correct. put your chain back on with your hands. Yeah, correct. So yeah, so Filippo Gunna, his, his own bike has like got some like putty holding that sprint shifter and there's like a few drill holes to allow the wiring through. It's, it's very, uh, it's very um, bodged, should I say, but it at least obviously gives him the ability to, uh, to have that, uh, that extra control and perhaps mitigate such issues. That said, the reason why the chain didn't go to the big ring when the shift was initiated has nothing to do with Shimano's DI2 or synchro shifting. It was because he was using a 60-tooth carbon fiber chain ring from AeroCoach, which just doesn't have the same shift ramps as uh, an actual Shimano chain ring. Yeah. So it's the chain ring to blame, yeah. really. Bad news. This is when time trialing is just taking too far. Uh, yeah. At some point, the marginal gains increase risk to the point where you would think that they, they would make different decisions, particularly at the World Championships. But, uh, but I, I guess the other side of that is when it you, works, you, it works. Yeah, you, you risk yeah. it all to get the extra 0. 0.0001% right? because, yeah. you know, it's going to be a, what, 40, 50 minute time yeah. trial. And if you get that, small percentage that could be a difference and so. i was i was actually a problem maybe i shouldn't t- say this but i was actually given access to that bike after yeah. uh and i was not allowed to shoot it or video it at all but i was shown that shifting working perfectly in the stand like 100 percent reliable the 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 chain would go straight up into the big ring with right. with no hesitation at all but Add in someone that's probably putting down 400, 500 watts at the time and spinning what looked like 110, 120 RPM. And, and like bumps in the road. And, and bumps in the yeah. road and whatever else. And it's just bad luck. Yep. Well, I still, uh, yeah. For, for me, that one, like, you know, Van Vluten is, is probably a freak thing. Yep. But for me, that one is. Could have been avoided. Is, yeah. Is some, some decision making. Um, Again, like I, f- I fully understand why you would just pull out all the stops and just go for it. Yeah. But man, like, yeah. and again, Felipe Gana. Well, just that particular issue where you you can't like DI two already. You can't massage a chain mm-hmm. into gear. No. Right. Like that's one of the things I love about mechanical systems is that you know on a mountain bike you crash you, yeah. you 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 tweak your your derailleur hanger you can still get to the end of the day and just you know massage the gears in basically. Yeah can't do that at all with di2 and then you add this other layer of you not only can you not massage it in you can't even actually tell the front derailleur to do anything no it's just has a mind of its own at that and point it, it feels like a very dangerous thing to do and on to top me. of that like there's so much nuance to this issue is that that synchro shifting he's got a tt helmet on he's not going to be able to hear what gear he's in or what the gear gear's doing you can set up like your garment to beep at you when you're shifting or when it's about to initiate a front a front chain ring shift right. You wouldn't hear that. It's unlikely he's paying attention on his computer to what the gear's about to do. So, I mean, he's probably not, he's also not going to know when he needs to back off the power because the front shifting is going to overtake instead of a, a simple rear shift, right? So, it's, it, there's so many little things associated with this larger problem. Um, it's a very interesting mechanical failure that uh, ended up costing him a podium. 
Well, so uh, interesting to me, I think, as always, that like the f- the first half of this world's, yes, obviously, winners and losers and all the rest, but like the biggest stories we've had on the site, for example, have been tech failures, mm. right? Which is not totally unique. I mean, that, that tends to happen at the Tour de France and things as well. Like Every big, big race. Yeah, every yeah. big race, that those, ten, those things tend to rise uh, to the top of people's interest. But this one in particular, we've had some, some pretty high-profile failures yes. thus far, and we're probably not done with that. The sort of the, the next thing we wanted to talk about here is well something I can attest to, which is the fact that uh, we're very far away mm. from where the rest of cycling happens yep. generally. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen a team bus all week. Yes, <laughs> they didn't fit on the planes on the way yeah. here. Uh, that has made things a little bit more difficult for lots of teams. Uh, yeah. For uh, for basically all the teams, right? Uh, even I would say probably even the Australian teams because most of those riders are going to be in Europe and a lot of their stuff is going to be in Europe anyway. What have teams been dealing with and how have they dealt with it this this week? I would say every team is different, but basically most most teams are running uh, themselves in national configuration. So they have their own accommodation, uh, some uh, an hour and a half away from where the race is, others uh, literally on the race course. Um, and and yeah, basically they, they all have mechanics that are sourced from various places. Normally they're, they're working for the right nationality, um, but their, their day job would be working for a world tour team or a, a pro Conti team as a mechanic. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been interesting talking to these mechanics about what they've gone through and, and basically they've most of the time they've left it up to their individual riders to bring their bikes over and to maybe bring an extra set of wheels. Uh, but the mechanics then have to figure out exactly how to manage those spares and, and how to service those bikes, which are in many cases, um, completely different to what they're used to dealing with on their trade teams it's all new tech to them and more importantly it's it's uh i guess with some of these riders they're bringing their home bikes as opposed to their race day bikes because that's just what they had access to they're beat they're <laughs> they're beaten um so yeah i mean some riders are better than others in this regard but yeah it's uh i've, I've heard some some things of especially in the juniors and under 23s of like where it's not unlike setting up a charity ride with a free <laughs> service at the beginning, like, you know, a tent that someone's offering tune-ups and someone brings like their, their bike that's been under the house for five years and being like, can you get this to work? Um, and my understanding is like some of the mechanics have been dealing with that where these bikes have just been ridden into the ground by like these up and coming riders and, uh, it's time to race the, the world championship. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, it. it's it's there's a there's a mix of things. Um, logistically, though, because Australia is so far away, and a lot of these riders don't want to be massively out of pocket, they the riders themselves are traveling light, so they 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 themselves might not bring spare wheels, and then it's a matter of the team mechanics figuring out where can we pull the spare wheels from. Will they fit? Even like, will the rotor sizes fit? Are they room brake? Are they disc brake? Are they SRAM? Are they Shimano? Are they Campagnolo? There's, are, is it 10, 11, 12 speed? Uh, there's just so many variations. And then on top of that, you've got the juniors as well who are on completely different gearing. So it's it's pretty it's pretty hilarious to hear the stories from the various mechanics. Um, 
And and yeah, we we spoke to um, Kevin Grove, who's a day job and works for Bora Hansgrove uh, as a as a world tour mechanic. He's he's a bit of a, a veteran in the space. He's he's worked with many teams, and yeah, we spoke to him a bit with uh, some of the logistics he's dealt with. Let's listen in. All right, Kevin. So we're in the car park of a nondescript apartment building within the center of Wollongong. Uh, how did you get here? Uh, I came from Barcelona, so I took the flight from Barcelona to Frankfurt to Singapore and then finally to Sydney. Mm-hmm. And they were lucky enough to drive me down here to Wollongong. Okay. What were you doing before getting on the flight? Uh, I actually was in tour of Britain. Okay. Uh, All right. Until the abrupt end? Yes, until yeah. the abrupt end. Okay. All right. And what's your day job when you're not wrenching for Team USA? Uh, I work for Team Bora Hansgrohe. Okay. All right. Uh, any any of the, the team members, are you working on any, any of their bikes here or is it everything no, else? I, unfortunately, we don't have any uh, Americans on Bora. Hopefully, that'll change at some point. But okay. You never know. Yeah, sure. So you've had a, a pretty say long career as a mechanic in the world tour uh you've done australia before but perhaps did you do geelong were you involved in the, that no, side of thing no. okay so it's your first time coming out uh for worlds in australia yes. logistically how has it been difficult uh i think you know it's easy when you have a truck and you can pull up in your truck and have all the bikes for everybody and all the wheels and everything that you need uh here you have to pick and choose uh, some guys only brought one bike. Now some guys have two. Some guys have two and their TT bike. Mm. Uh, TT guys, you know, it was a wide variety of what they brought and how much they could afford to bring. Yeah, so right. it's been difficult. Yeah. So you had to kind of roll with it and hope for the best. And and how much pre-planning was there with those riders of what they're bringing versus what you need to bring? Yeah, I mean, you definitely have the discussion. Uh, I don't really get involved with the juniors or the U23 guys, so it's more the elite that I deal with. So uh, you just kind of touch base with them, see what they have, and then try and fill in the holes with your own stuff. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you fill in all the holes. Yeah, okay. Any gaps, that, uh, any holes that were left empty? No, so far so good. Uh, okay. The time trials, I mean, Nielsen wasn't really expected to do the individual TT, so he only showed up with one. Mm-hmm. Um, he did have a spare pair of wheels. I mean, I actually flew with his bike because it was this last-minute you know, deal where you know, I live in Girona, and they're like, oh, can you bring Nielsen's bike over? So you know, they pulled up to my house, dropped the box off, and here we are. How many bags are you traveling with? I only traveled, I mean, I was very lucky because I came in a little later than everybody else because okay. of Britain. Yeah. So I only traveled with Nielsen's bike and all the stuff that I needed to support the riders. Okay. And what does that, your stuff, what does that look like? What does that entail? Uh, I threw a bike stand into my suitcase, mm-hmm. you know, squeezed it in there. Yeah. And fairly light kinda, tax, is it? Yes. Yep. And then I, you know, instead of the big toolbox, I scaled it down to my race pack mm-hmm. and... The seven two Velo guys have a really nice pack, and so squeeze what I knew that I needed in there. Yeah, uh, there's always something that you miss, uh, like the <laughs> valve core remover. Right? Oh, okay, you know, that's the like, one you missed. Ah, huh? oh, yes, yeah. I forgot that I need to uh, do the valve cores and do all the liquid in there. Yeah. So you know, it's the small stuff like that. Like this is the first time I've really traveled without my toolbox in quite a long time. So, yeah. Okay. You know, you work out the 
problems and then you're good to go and i guess part of that challenge is that you're probably dealing with some bikes that have equipment that you're also not worth working with is that is that the case here as well yes i mean you know some people have 11 speed some people have 12 speed some people have sram Mm -hmm. so it's definitely you know interesting to try and get everybody accommodated yeah okay any any challenges like any any have you learned anything this week as far as the equipment goes have you had to have you had to youtube anything yeah the sram stuff i mean i i've been on shimano my entire life as a mechanic Mm -hmm. i mean the first year with bmc we had campagnolo Mm -hmm. but that was still mechanical so you know i've dealt with sram and you know, I deal with SRAM here at Worlds or every time I've gone to Worlds. So it's the remembering all the small details of, you know, alignments and where the batteries are and how to check the batteries, which is yeah. always interesting to me. Yeah. All right. So you've got uh, this two of you wrenching on bikes. Is that as I'm, I'm not missing anyone, right? As you uh, we have Jamie for the junior okay. kids at the other Okay, apartments. all right. So you're at separate place, but the juniors have another yes. another whole accommodation set up. So three mechanics. How many bikes between the three of you? How many bikes? That's a lot. Mm. Uh, I honestly, yeah, more than 50 Yeah, right. in total. Yep. Uh, I haven't seen the junior bikes, but like worked on them once. Mm. So I know we have three junior boys and or four junior boys and three junior girls, and so all of their stuff, along with other TT bikes, and yeah, it makes for a lot of a lot of bicycles. And how many are you personally responsible for? Brandon and I, we kind of just share the workload. Yeah, I mean we I think we have twenty. Eight to thirty bikes here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when something needs done and one of us is around, we do it. When the other's on a training ride, the guy at the hotel takes care of the stuff. Yeah, uh, it's been really, really fluid. Mm. And, and I've been lucky because I've never worked with Brandon before. So, okay, you know, it's always the learning curve of yeah. you know how you work together, how, how you work that. together, and yeah. trying to get the systems down pat. But yeah, yeah. it's been fantastic. Yeah. So Brandon's uh, tells me he's done the last season with best buddies and yeah. us so another pretty experienced mechanic from yep. used to dealing with the racing side of things and uh yeah i mean what else can you tell me like how, how many spare sets of wheels are you having to deal with and and it looks like you're dealing with tubular tubulous probably some clinches yeah, as well all, all of it yeah I mean, you have the full gamut mm-hmm. I mean, some guys come here without spare wheels okay some, you know, one guy has just his bike. Okay. And I have one elite woman with just a race bike. You know, some have a race bike and a pair of wheels. Some have two bikes. Uh, the EF girls are sharing one pair of wheels for wow. the three of them. But at least they have spare wheels. Some spares. So. Okay. And let's say race day comes around, you're, you're loading up the car, got all the various different spare bikes on top. What sort of wheels do you have in the car with you? Because, again, that surely is a... You've got yeah. some 12-speed SRAM, <laughs> some... Yeah, you take everything that you yeah. put in there. Okay. Know, for everybody, you need to have wheels for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how I will probably play it here is using some of the elite men's stuff for the women just mm-hmm. to make sure. You no, know? I mean, no, maybe 
none of their teams want to hear that, but like you have to do what you have to do to keep yeah. everybody covered. Yeah. So in the past, I've done that with the U23 kids. You know, if somebody doesn't have a wheel, then you know, I know that the elites have it and they're not until the next day. And so I can throw a different cassette on if they need 11 speed instead of 12. And yeah. From there, yeah, okay. So you've got all the riders covered with spare wheels. Yeah. It's just, yeah, we have a list going, and so we okay. know exactly who has what and logistical what nightmare. We need. Yes, yeah, okay. All right, well, thank you, Kevin. Yeah, Appreciate no the time. No well, thanks to Kevin, uh, and everybody else that we spoke to over the last week. You've been you've been running around chatting with all sorts of folks, yeah. We always appreciate their time, uh, particularly the mechanics because they're they're pretty busy people this week, as, as you can probably tell from that chat. I think that's it from us yeah. for this uh, little special world's nerd alert. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, if if anything else crazy happens, we'll talk about it either in the main podcast. We've got a couple more coming this week or in the next nerd alert. Uh, yeah, I'm, we'll I back. would imagine there's going to be some more technical things that go on over the weekend. And if they if those things do happen, then yeah, we'll chat about yeah. it. Andy, let's get some speculation from you. What failure do you think we'll see? <laughs> Well, <laughs> let's just hope that it's nothing to do with anything uh, tech-related from here. Like, let, Let's leave the failures to the riders. All right. All right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I think there will be a few failures given uh, we went on course today and there was quite the climb. Oof. Yeah. And There's going to be a lot of front shifting essentially yeah. happening. Yeah. Uh, I think that the first of those two climbs, uh-huh. you could do with a big ring. Yes. For sure. The, 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 the pros will... Like the... The riders at Worlds would do that in the big yeah, ring. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like we could have almost done it in the big ring. The second one, I bet like Philippe does that in the big ring on the final lap. Maybe. But the rest of the time probably spins up it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, this is just going to be a lot of front shifting. And whenever there's a lot of front shifting, we then, see a lot of failures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Particularly the sort that, that um, yeah, that this is going to be, which is like you come down that hill and, and have Carrying a lot a of speed. pretty dramatic yeah. shift. Yeah. I had to pick a technical failure for this weekend. Chain jam. Hmm? Drop chain. Yeah, that's not very exciting, though. Mm. I think we're going to have... We're going to have... I think we're going to see some more tires just fall off. Oh. Yeah. And further further uh, stoke the fuel of my hookless hatred. Oh, okay. I think that's what's going to happen. Oh. I'm, I'm going to go very far off the, the beaten track here and I've heard from a few mechanics whose riders arrived with damaged bikes through transit and they've just wrapped it in carbon. <laughs> so let's see how that goes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that that could be a little bit ugly. Yeah. All right, well, if either of those things happen, any of those things happen, we'll let you know on the next episode of Nerd Alert where we'll be back with the whole crew, James and Zach and everybody. Thank you for listening. I was going to say we'll see you next time, but we can't see anybody. No. no You'll hear us next time. Yeah, we'll hear you. Bye-bye.